welcome to find the right words. This is lovely. Thank you all for being here. Uh, last month we were a little bit thin on the ground because there was a huge amount of stuff going on uh, in Leicester last month. So we, we don't hold it against you. It's fine. But um, thank you for coming back because I was a little bit worried. Um, so it's lovely to see you all. Um, you might notice uh, we are Tobyless this evening. Uh, Toby got a better offer. Uh, he managed to double book himself. I told the story to Meryl earlier and I said he managed to double book himself and he's gone off to do his gig. And Meryl was like, he double booked himself but still chose the other gig. So that's where he is, he's gone off to do a gig. Um, so I'm going to be uh, trying to compare all of this evening, which I haven't done for a couple of years. So um, we'll, we'll make the best of it and see how it goes. Um, but we have a brilliant night for you this evening. We have two fantastic headliners in the forms of Ben Meller and Rebecca Tantoni. So a round of applause for them. About three years ago, um, a secondary school in Leicester got in touch with me and said, um, we would like you to write a poem uh, to make the students behave better. Um, <laughs> so I wrote this poem, and I, I, mean, I don't think it had the desired effect. I wrote this poem, and I went in, and I had to sort of, I had to, in the morning, perform it in front of like 200 angry attends, and then I had to like go into um, uh, what they called like flash mobs, which was just me, I was the mob. And I had to like go into like, year nine classrooms and perform this poem, which people often think is a really good idea. But they, always, they just looked at me like they didn't want to be there and they were in pain. Um, so I did a whole day of that and then I got out at the end of the day and I thought, well, thank God that's over, that was a disaster. Um, and then a year later, they were like, because it was such a success last year, we'd really like you to come back and do the same thing. So the same thing happened. I went in. They looked like they wanted to die, as did I. Um, and it was awful. And then I got out, and I think, well, maybe they've got the message this year that this is not something that works. Um, and then three days ago... <laughs> They were like, we'd love for you to come back in. It's just such a success. So I've been trying to learn this poem again. Um, and I was just trying to learn it um, out in the corridor. Um, so this is the poem that I wrote. Um, I, don't, I mean, I, I don't even know if I can remember this, but we'll see how it goes. Um, this is called Restart. My mum was a teacher. And my sister, a five-year ahead success, I had the odds stacked in my favour and no one was going to let me do any less than my absolute best in the exam or coursework or revision test. But at 13, I was crawling out of every lesson on my belly under desk and spending more and more time in behaviour support until the teachers frown. And every time my mum was called in to explain why I was messing around or doing something badly or doing something wrong or just not doing anything at all, again, I sunk lower in my chair outside the head's office. I lowered my glare because I expected her to be mad and angry and she never was. Not really. Just sad and scared until one day she said, you don't understand. If you mess this up through laziness and taking the mick, they won't let you back again. If you open the envelope and you don't like what you see on the page, there is no restart button, there is no, whoops, mess that up royally, I'll go back to year seven and have another go. No, they will let you go into adulthood with a shrug and just make the best of it. It doesn't need to be like that. Summon all the forethought you have to see a life where you hold every skill you possess close to your chest, even the boring ones you are convinced you will never use because there are still times when I'm embarrassed that my accountant has to do my long division for me. And he finishes each sum with a smile and a flourish. And don't worry, most women aren't good at maths. Even if that were true, I could have been. And I'm embarrassed there were girls around the world risking bullets and blood and kidnap and torture and being strung up in the street just to learn. And I spent three years back-chatting my French teacher a grammatically incorrect Spanish swear words. <laughs> Instead of thinking that here and now is this window of opportunity. In every year 11 assembly, we had a teacher who told us repeatedly that we were made of stardust, so how could we just waste all that positive energy? 
And his whitewash broad brush statements made me cringe, but 10 years on, I still see time like a tide coming in. You feel like you've got all this time to get everything done. You don't hear the tides sniggering up to your ankles until you're swimming in all that stuff you said you'd do next week. And I admit, there are things I'm not designed to understand. Selfies and fashion magazines go hand in hand at the top of the list, but the number one thing that makes my skin itch with irritation is smooth-faced celebrities who are made famous by playing thick, who go on panel shows and stare down the lens of a camera in fame bafflement because they have no idea where Germany is or what an aubergine looks like or what is their opinion of the kidnapping of hundreds of girls but Boko Haram who just wanted to go to school. Whoops, no idea, laugh it off and go back to plugging your next ghostwritten book. There are things I don't know. They are plentiful. I always struggle to remember anything to do with the periodic table. It took real effort to memorise it for my GCSE. I panic at map reading and lie about the fact that actually I use a sat-nav to make it to most places. I was once asked to do an interview for the New Statesman and I turned it down because I was scared I'd look stupid. I watch University Challenge and I don't even understand the questions. And despite a love of cake and Mary Berry, I cannot bake, I just burn it. But I'm embarrassed by these things and I'm trying to be better. Because why would you not want to be the most interesting person in every room you're in? Where your intelligence next to each book you've read like diamonds and a necklace, or chinks in a four-figure cost wristwatch at glints with each practice flick of your wrist, have each and every answer at the ready, be steady in your delivery, and never be dumbfounded by a question you weren't expecting. And on the days when you are one week away from something very important, you revise until you're reciting French verbs in your sleep, skimmed and scanned every fact sheet, filled your bath and wall or pages of maths equations to go over again when you're brushing your teeth, and still you feel like the failure you fear you'll be with a stone in your tummy and frustration in your fist when your brain feels like an oversaturated sieve and just day-to-day -day conversations make you tear up and your mate's acting tough. He won't, he's angry at you because you won't go out tonight. But he's as pent up and has had enough of this pressure and the weight on his back as you. So hold your nerve, hold your tongue, find the breath in your belly and hold on to the feeling of having done your best and not wanting to press the restart button. Cool. I'm going to um, introduce our first headline app for this evening. Um, so I first discovered Rebecca, um, I think, through uh, Burning Eye Books, who are a publishers um, of performance poetry. You should look them up. They, they publish some really good stuff. Um, and I've, I've uh, loved her work since then, and I've, I've followed what she does online. I think she's brilliant. And she did a really fantastic workshop with um, some, some of you guys beforehand, so I'm really sh pleased she could be here. So a round of applause, please, for Rebecca. How are you? It's nice to be here. I don't really know Leicester apart from the pies <laughs> in Melton Mowbray. That's about all I know. This is for you and for every other young person who's ever been young. <laughs> every other young person who's thought that their voice didn't matter. And it's called Miguel. I was lucky enough to work in a school in, in the States and I met a kid who I thought couldn't speak for a very long time and it turned out he could. He was just a half Mexican 14 year old boy who just thought no one wants to listen to me. And I hear this time and time again and it's not true. They are the most important thing we have, young people. <clears throat> I met a boy in San Francisco whose silences spoke the volumes of encyclopedias, whose pupils shouted forever and whose mouth held so much possibility. A boy who barely moved a muscle so quiet I thought he was mute and while inside his stomach grew a town, sat a city, awaited a castle with a thousand empty rooms longing to be explored outside the world barked like hungry pit 
balls slobbering and growling. Shh, shh. Quietly, Miguel, don't say too much. Miguel, he is 14 years old. In an inner city high school, in the heartbeat of the mission district, these Latin quarters speak in tongues in this palace, this place, this school where ghetto lingo spells out truth because you speak differently here. Miguel, dressed in a crushed black velvet suit, teardrop tie and ancient, disguised in high tops, cap black, slicked back hair, this half American thing, this Mexican king royally crowned. Miguel, too afraid to say something or too content to ever need to. He is so peaceful between syllables while I stuff words into the space we share, eager for the next generation to speak of hope. Shut mouth. Clamped lips and quiet time. We sit in the corridor together and I tell him I am leaving for Mexico soon. Ask, is there anything I need to take with me? And he searches my face like a lighthouse scanning for something. Be open, he says. It's not like it is here. There you will find prayer in everything. There are Mayan gods offering to wash your car with smiles that speak of heaven. But let's not talk of religion too much, he says, when we can speak of life. Life and girls, girls like my mother, who gave birth to me on the back of a bus without drugs to numb the pain or a husband to feel it. Or my grandmother, who in the five years since he died still tucks my grandfather's memory in at night. Let's speak of how, he says, of how I want to build the world's biggest gun. Not to ever kill anyone. Not to rip apart hearts, throw bones to earth, pulp, ash, scatter, sacrifice. Not to hurt the human spirit, but to pull the trigger up towards the sky and fire a bullet at the sun. Why, I ask, because, he replies, because we all want to be heard by someone. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. It really is a pleasure to be here. And um, it's my first ever gig in Leicester. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna have a pint after this and think about Leicester. Um, this is called Baked Apricots. And even though I didn't bring all the political material that I feel so driven to write at the moment in this madness that is life, I would like to give this poem to you as my way of saying that, you know, we don't, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, I've spent my whole life looking for God. I studied religion, I'm obsessed with him. And I just remember being with my mates in the pub, drinking pints and just thinking that God I'm always on the hunt for, actually he's here, he's in you. And this is a poem about that and it's called Baked Apricots and I hope I can remember it. And it's for my boyfriend <laughs> and everyone else. I found Allah once. It was Morocco seven years ago. 
My knees collapse on a prayer mat, arms flat packed behind my back, heart beating like that of a race horse. It was hot sun. 28 degrees of hot sun, baked apricots, speakers spitting prayers, me looking everywhere for God. I was awkward and still sat waiting for the return of my breath when suddenly I saw him, old now, 90 or so, bending down and picking up fag butts and somehow then I knew he too was trying to bring back that which you just need to give up. I found the guru once, outside a Gurdwara in Bristol. She was a woman, waiting, stood in a short skirt and high heels, her four children pulling on every limb, her still smiling somehow. It was a dry day, and she spoke as if speaking scriptures, promising packed lunches and trips to the park, proving that working hard can reveal itself in miracles. Sometimes it taps Morse code across your children's skin, saying, let me into every single pore of you. I found God once, age nine, St. Francis Church. The assembly, first thing, clapping hands, singing old forgotten hymns of birth and stars. Instead, I looked out the window. Watched the wind pass through tree leaves, watched the sun spread the sky red and ink blot on tracing paper, watched nature move together perfectly. So let's not just meet up on Sundays, somewhere pious and forgotten, quietly timetabling God's entrance. Let's turn this moment into a hymn. For I have never known silence like I do now, playing songs across your gravestone, God, trying to wake the life out of your peace. I spent too much time editing your face out of the black days, scratching the surface of my heart. And I always thought that you were a fairy tale, a man-made promise, a ridiculous cutout that never came true, but I have seen through you now. You are in the shopkeepers and customers. You're in the bus drivers and checkout girls. You're in the debt collectors, the babysitters and dinner ladies. You are in Jess and the guy who claps incredibly loud and the person sat next to him and this whole row of people here, including this Mexican queen, and the row just behind, and the row behind that, and the couple who keep getting engaged on repeat, and this row here, and everyone back there, and you're in Andy, and Ben, and Raul, and everyone at the back, and I'm sure you were there too, God. When I never called my father back, when I thought the plane would crash, age eight, when I swam out of my depth and nearly drowned, when I said sorry about my mistakes, my problematic health scares, my expectancy, I'll fall asleep next to you now and dream of electricity bringing us back together again. I will dream of discovering you in my own tangible way amongst my own tangible people. I would dream of looking for the sacred and finding holy in everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
This is called Formless. It was a poem I wrote and never wanted ever anyone to ever read it, ever. And then I realized that's what we do. That's what all of you brilliant open micers just did. You, you come up here and you say the things that matter to you in an attempt to, what is it, normalize it for others? Or I don't know, but this is a poem that I don't want any of you to hear deep down, but I think I need to say it. It's called Formless. <clears throat> We were in a room that hadn't been cleaned properly in years. Cellophane windows and tired smells. Slept in a single bed. Multiplied ourselves in Petri dishes, clever enough to keep the outside at bay. We made love again, as if our bodies depended on all that feeling pressed together like dead daffodils in books, fill up and golden on one another's skin. Unknowingly, we broke condoms, muttered prayers, kept goodbyes for the morning and knew that night, night was meant to be swallowed into the deep, dank pit of us. You were made formless, us frightened by the thought of you growing inside me like an ache, a question mark shaped like a secret. I discovered you in a Weatherspoon's toilet, pissed on a static test and received positive feedback two months already of heaving the weight of you around. And the reason I had to get you out early wasn't because I couldn't wait any longer. I just didn't know how to make all of you into something lasting. I care for you more now than I ever could have then. I watch you through the kaleidoscope of my friends growing offspring, the memory banks of my teenage years, and somewhere between cloud and clock hands, if only for an instant, I understand what it is to love something to death. <clears throat> okay. Our first open mic of this evening, a round of applause please for Chris. Um, everyone's shared stuff, so I'm going to try something different, which is actually not try and make you laugh. So you're going to have to indulge me, I'm afraid. I did a thing last night, and the brief was A Better World is Possible. And I wrote a poem, and then I didn't read it, and I just ran around with an eye drawn on my head reading horoscopes to people instead. So you get the poem. <laughs> I have a rain dance, all of my own, for times like these, a private way to replay and refresh, to wash away blemishes and start anew. It needs three things. It needs skies painted in hopeless grey, slate sheets from horizon to the nape of your neck, encompassing and threatening. It needs chalk, bright childhood memories compressed into dusty, breathless spell ones, lightly crumbling to touch. It needs shared, silent, paved street dance floors, outdoor park basketball courts, maybe the steps to a courtroom. With these three things, I do my dance and remake my world into something 
better. I push my way through air dense and sharp like the rush of an open freezer and I reach my dance floor and there I write all my secrets. I scrawl and scribble my mind, sharing despair and shame and blame in bright, wide letters, naming my regrets and fears, defining today in language and accounting for every whisper until punctuated pavement patterns shout everywhere underfoot. And for a moment I stand there over my sigils and sounds, accepting my unedited, honest life. Each word mine, each word me and I stretch and wait slowly loosening up until the static skyline cracks and screams wet violence and cold forgiveness onto the pavement each icy tear a new single note of redemption a beat in the song of my rain dance battering better in breakbeat nature pummels my lines raising dust cloud until it submerges words making sim blur and merge into new truths regrets puddle and whitewash pavements and through it all I dance a toddler puddle shuffle a reappropriated for adult rebirth my knees flexing and toes tapping and slapping getting down in the downpour savoring every rivulet as my reality reshapes while I throw soggy shapes of my own hours splint spent flinging sodden limbs no idea what's rain what sweat what's tears as needles of brain freeze prick and deflate every idea in my head until it contains nothing a barren glacier thumping to the beat and howl of emotionless unanthropomorphized weather in time it eases and i am left standing over clean possibility once again pavement proclaiming with clarity a better tomorrow can be found and i stand my Rain dance complete. Cheers. Next up, we've got Claire. So, round of applause for Claire. I was recently asked to write a poem on the theme of experiments. Um, I didn't really know what to write about at first. I immediately thought of science, but I'm not a very scientific person. So, in a creative sort of way, I thought about well, this year, 2016, so sorry, it's not very optimistic at all, I'm sorry if it's cliche, but it's called um, Almost the End. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? From the very start, did we know that this year would be so tragic, so full of loss, agony, turmoil, anger, oppression, division? I've heard people question, Is there a reset button? Is this year finally over yet? What's going on with this world? Have you considered this? Is 2016 just an experiment to see how far we can be pushed to the limit before we can't take much more of it? Is there a switch to turn on the light and take us out of the plunging darkness of celebrity deaths, politics and utter shambles and the horrifying truth that the world is divided? I'm at my limits, my wit's end. Can this year possibly be any worse than it already has? Will this experiment stop when Big Ben tolls at midnight for the final time this year, when the celebrations bring in the new year? What will 2017 bring? Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? I'm caught in a landslide. There's no escape from reality. A round of applause, please, for Millie. Hello, it's, um, it's been quite a while since I've performed and there's a bit of a backstory to this. 
And it was written at Shambhala this year at that kind of sobering up mid-morning um, going when you should be sleeping. And um, if you're in the workshop earlier, Tony kind of stole my thunder a bit. So I'm going to have to disregard the last, uh, last stanza. It started in April, and that was no joke, spoken by wine-induced witterings over some fries. And I know that things like this are meant to be a surprise, but as one drink became two and two became four, and then we had no money for more. So he looked at me and I said, yep, I am sure. If anything, this place won't be a bore. So one final look, yes, we are sure. Sure we're going to do this. Yes, we're sure we are sure. It begins and I take off my ring, hiding a grin. One final shot, Dutch courage within. Now or never to see out this plot. Hot under his collar, small trickle of sweat. He's got to see this out. We have made the bet. So he sneaks off to the bar and he waits for a waiter. Ten minutes later, feeding me the last chip potato, a waitress approaches. He gets down on one knee and he makes me a toast. So four short words and a glass of Prosecco. And now it's my turn to say yes or no. Suppressing a giggle, I give him a smile. And while he proffers my, there, proffers my ring... And I just grin. And then I squeal and I cry and I dab at my eye and I make all the right noises. I'm actually enjoying this. And of course I say yes, if you hadn't have guessed. And with barely a pause, there's a round of applause. The staff and the diners smile and raise glasses. And we finish the meal a tad worse for wear. And we walk into the theatre hand holding hand. And it's the next bit that happens that wasn't quite planned. Someone from the restaurant wanted to admire my ring. And this is actually where the adventure begins. An usher nearby had heard our good tidings and behind her back two drinks were hiding. So we got told when the interval came to come to the bar there'd be more of the same. So you can kind of see now why we played this game. In the space of two hours we had been showered with about 60 quids worth of free booze. And not the cheap stuff neither. 60 quids worth of booze and not to mention free food. Okay it was a cake but I, I had a rhyme to make. So we looked at each other and we're still a bit squiffy. He said, we could be onto something here, Missy. This might only be the first, but I think this could really work. I mean, we travel a lot and we eat in new places, so there's no chance of seeing familiar faces. And we can work our way through every restaurant chain and I can propose again and again. <laughs> I mean, some might do the whole bottle, others wine by the glass. To find out is only a simple enough ask, and I am definitely the man here for the task. So... Looking around the hotel room the next morning, the scattered bottle served as a warning that something perhaps was not quite right, so we hastily tried to recall the past night. Rubbing my eyes, I noticed my finger. Yes, that finger. Now I had a ring there where it once was bare. Oh, we remember the dare. And it's not something we wouldn't want to do, perhaps maybe in like a year or two. I mean, it's not like we told all of Facebook. Oh, yes, we did. He gives me a look. And that would explain the message from my mother and the congratulations that came from his brother. I think we could now be in a bit of bother. Now, at this point, deep down inside, I kind of, I dared to hope that it wasn't perhaps a joke and that this was real and there wasn't a nope coming from the sobering bloke. And then I also got a bit mad. I mean, was this the best proposal I'd had? In the scheme of things, it wasn't that bad, but surely it could have been a bit more meaningful. I know he doesn't like the traditional and we have been together for a while and the plan forms and I greet him with a smile. Darling, you know about last night, you remember it. All right. He looks a bit sheepish and he dresses me meekly and he goes, what about it? Well, I say, let's make it real, but let's do it our way. I mean, what do you say? I mean, I think we were kind of heading that way, I hoped. So he pondered away. Let's do 100 proposals before our big day. We have nothing to lose and don't forget about the free booze. And we can take it in turn so we can each get to choose. And that's where it began. 
this is where it all goes a bit wrong now. We were on number 48, but number 49 happened um, earlier today. <laughs> and when I first wrote this, we were on 45th, and it was a bit of a risk with this one. So, yeah, so I can't finish it properly, but there we go. That's a bit of a backstory. Thank you. Tony proposed to Millie in the workshop earlier, and we were all like, ah! And she was like, oh, it happens all the time, don't worry. <laughs> so, but they are getting married in September, so we should give them a round of applause. <laughs> Our speed poet this evening, I'm really excited about this. He is a uh, never before seen uh, speed poet. Um, he has, he, he has supported Find the Right Words from the very beginning. Back when I talk about it being at the cookie and it was literally just me, Dave, my mum and dad, he was also there. So uh, he's seen it from its very origins. But he's never performed on, on the stage and, uh, and I don't think really has performed in this context before. Our speed poet this evening is Quiz. So round of applause for Quiz. <laughs> so our themes were um, autumn, um, walnut the whippet, um, the apocalypse, <laughs> and um, college students uh, marching against Trump. Um, so he's only had an hour, so a huge, huge round of applause for Quiz. This year, it feels like, like post-truth. Like, there's almost like a will of experts. What they say doesn't matter anymore. People not wanting to know about things. And this is kind of about that but also about dogs. Um, okay. Okay. Or a bit. It puts me at odds with the majority of our nation, but I never want to end my education. And against a society of post-truth and willful ignorance, this is my rebellion, my only response. I want to learn everything I can possibly know, have it at my fingertips when I'm ready to go. I want to be informed by every situation, be opinionated and play a part in every conversation. I want to understand why so many of Americans voted for Trump, a lying, misogynistic, bile-spewing Trump, I said I'd get a rhyme in, um, <laughs> who claims to have the interests of all Americans at heart, but whose policies are driven by the alt-right Putin and Breitbart. I want to read more of Plato, Hobbes and Nietzsche to see what they have to say and find out whether it's still relevant today. I dropped science at school as soon as they'd allow, but that doesn't mean I don't want to know now how the moon affects the motion of the ocean and what the difference is between noble and halogen. To get my head round the autumn and the falling of the leaves, to why they go to brown and red instead of going staying green. And I did Google this and <laughs> I couldn't fit it into anything that works. <laughs> I'd like to travel just as much as I can, experience other cultures, speak to my fellow man. I'd like to learn a lot more about their culture and not be that British guy going, Dostavetas, puff over. <laughs> and there's so much to be taken from others' creativity. It can be a force for education and positivity. So I want to know who framed Roger Rabbit and whatever happened to Baby Jane. What meatloaf won't do for love and who stopped the rain. <laughs> I want to know what they were dreaming on that midsummer's night and just what the deal was with the woman in white. To understand how it ends up for Hamilton. Or the ongoing battle between... Javert and Jean Valjean. <laughs> to organise and march against the forces of power that feel like they're dragging us to our darkest hour. Or just get together to laugh, eat and talk. Or do give up your time like Walnut's last walk. <laughs> so if the apocalypse is coming for you and for me, then let's just be the best people we can be.
say, like, Chris is not a regular poet or writer. Um, let's have another round of applause. I think that's amazing. So I always say about um, running your own poetry night, it's really nice to be able to invite your favourite poets to come perform for you. It's nice to be able to invite your, your friends to come perform for you. Um, and I've admired uh, Ben's work for years. Um, but for the past couple of years, he has offered me uh, limitless amounts of patience when it has come to uh, guiding me through Arts Council applications and taking my show on tour. And when I decided that I wanted to write a play, even though I had no experience of writing plays. Um, so I'm really pleased that he's come to perform for us this evening. A round of applause, please, for Ben Meller. thought if I did an energetic entrance, it would disguise how very, very tired and jaded I am. <laughs> Has it worked? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, shit. <laughs> okay. Uh, this one is uh, from my first book. And uh, I'd like to start with this um, because it uh, offers me uh, an opportunity for a non-too-subtle product placement. Uh, because it's about paper, so I like sort of pretend I have to like read it off paper, even though I've done it loads and I know it really well. <laughs> it's called On Paper. Because <coughs> I'm good at titles as well. I wasn't always this. A crisp, white, straight edge from a box of 500 waiting patiently for my blank face to be laden with lines which barely make sense and my bottom to be numbered. I slumbered as a seed, spent 50 years growing to a tree before being lumbered, hacked and packed, but that previous incarnation was just a tiny part of me. The timber plantation, a mere fibre of my memory. I've been weaved from pieces of paper more numerous than the leaves of the trees they were made from, more multitudinous than the stories and sums written on their faces created to make people believe the imaginary status of the places they come from. I'm the glossy magazine the teenage girl threw in the bin along with her dream of ever being that fucking thin. I'm the two stuck-together skins binned with all the others by the little boy teaching himself to make those long cone-shaped cigs smoked by his older brothers. I'm the torn-up letter in which she explained why she had to go or wouldn't stay. He couldn't tell the difference and one of many bunched fist tissues which littered the flat as he grew accustomed to the company of his right hand. I'm the stamp on the envelope, sent to the home of an old lady living alone from a faraway cousin who just discovered a distant leaf on the branch of his family tree, but which arrived too late for him to see as she withered in the autumn of her life and fell. I'm the paper bell that told for the trader who neglected to invest in gold as the market crashed. His fortune dashed against the rocks of his stock portfolio, now shredded along with the unfettered free market beliefs to which he was wedded. I'm the last fiver, sole survivor from the dole docket, unable to keep my promise to pay the bearer the sum since I swam to my death in the wash when she forgot to check her pockets. Doesn't work now for the plastic ones, does it? Never. <laughs> I'm the photo in the locket, the last memory of a painful legacy from which he was finally free when he accidentally dropped it. I'm the screwed up sheet from the rhyme book of the wannabe MC who gave up spitting consciously because she believed gangster paper chasing was the only way to succeed. I'm the paper bag the lad was told he couldn't punch his way out of by his dad as he beat him and the train ticket that was all it took to be punched to eventually defeat him. I'm the wood chip they stripped from the walls, hoping to paper over the cracks. 
I'm the final reminder for your gas, phone, electric and your council tax. I'm your kids' detention slips. I'm the last piece of bog roll when you've got the squits. I'm Enron's share certificates. I'm yesterday's obituaries. I'm the fragmented dreams of a thousand trees that aspired to great heights imagined through photosyntheses. I am light made solid. I'm the register of all your lives, from the most angelic to the most squalid. But I have no voice. I have no choice but to rely on your hard work to make heard all my hidden songs. So please, make sure your words are worth the paper that they're written on. Cheers. Um, thank you. So it's lovely to be back uh, in this theatre. I uh, was here a couple of years ago with a show called Anthropoetry, um, which is, uh, this is the last book that exists of that uh, show. Um, so you can't have it. But there are CDs if you, if you, if you want um, one of those. But um, yeah, it's a book. Uh, it's a show. It was a show about uh, the human body. Uh, it was a sort of a journey through the human body. Um, through uh the medium of spoken word and music and um uh, shall i give you a choice do you want would you like to hear a poem this is the sort of choices that you're going to be presented with tonight would you like to hear a poem about the death of love or about pain pain okay yeah we've had enough of the death of love all right okay um so yeah, all right. So continuing in a sort of um, uh, a personification kind of vein, because uh, I haven't grown out of it since primary school yet. Um, I, I wondered. Uh, we got to the nervous system, and I started thinking about pleasure and pain. Obviously, I went for pain, uh, and uh, I was sort of like thinking, what would pain have to say if she could speak to us? Uh, and I decided pain was a she, uh, so that I could call it Lady Pain. That's the only reason. Before vertebrates mutated spinal cords, from umbilical nerves and nociceptors, I was born, together with my brother Pleasure. He's my twin. So close you can't measure where he ends and I begin. For millennia we dance nameless, below the skin. Sentient entities retreat from me and seek him, but say yes to pleasure and you say yes to pain. Entwined like double helices of DNA chains, our existence was basic. Until the human brain wrapped its tongue around our contours to gain and maintain its grasp on power. Claiming thrones, playing games, and in the process, blessing me with many names. Now I pulse, pound, shoot, stab, suffocate, and lacerate. Crush, wrench, gnaw, ache, nausea and penetrate I was always powerful but extended my reach through your mouths when I became engendered in speech because there's no gain without me and you won't know gain till you know me I stay close when it's rowdy away with the crowds at home with the lonely in your infancy you thought I was caused by evil spirits wore rings in your noses to ward off my visits but even then you knew how to apply my physics using rape war and torture to expand your limits. Hedonists sought pleasure but tried to shun me. Buddhists and Stoics taught indifference to both to become free. Victorians wanted the greatest number to feel my brother but mainly pleased their funders leaving me to the others and pleasure was never allowed to express his sexuality so they use me as a tool of their repressed morality. I leave my mark even when you can't see the scars at every orgy from the Greeks to the Marquis de Sade who gave his 
name to sadists, still seen as perverse by those who want pleasure forever and me in a hearse, who keep lips ever buttoned and desires ever pursed, so never taste the kick I give to pleasure when it hurts, cause there's no gain without me, and you won't know gain till you know me, I stay close when it's rowdy, away with the crowds at home with the lonely, now in this modern age, there are those who would abolish me, the heights of human hubris never fail to astonish me, for years you've tried to silence me with powders and pills, believing temporary respite gives you power to kill, ibuprofen, paracetamol, morphine, phenylbutazone, dibucane, butorphanol, codeine, oxycodone, phenuprofen, tramadol, pentazacine, and naloxone, lidocaine, levorphanol, propoxyphene, and methadone, these remedies seem powerful but they're palliative at best, the only time I sleep is when death gives me rest, and even then I'm the inheritance for those left behind, though you put your faith in that quack healer time, fates are dealer, getting me and pleasure high for eons, affecting everybody from princes down to peons, I'm there for your morality, your ethics, your sport, the teacher of every lesson, painfully taught, because there's no gain without me, and you won't know gain till you know me, I stay close when it's rowdy, away with the crowds at home with the lonely thank you it's only slightly ruined for me that poem by some uh, very pedantic uh, pharmacist uh, uh, who came, came up to me at the end of a show and was like you do realise that naloxone isn't actually a painkiller don't you blocks the action. It's actually an opiate blocker, so if anything, it increases pain. Fuck off. <laughs> Fucking, do you know how difficult it was to write that verse? <laughs> Staying in, I don't care. All right. Um, uh, would you like to hear a poem uh, about mass species extinction <laughs> or parental death? <laughs> Those are your only choices. First one. Okay. I'm going to take your first I'm going to take your first offer. Um ah oh dear. These are all ones that I'm I'm needing to read tonight. Uh, or at least well the first one was one I had pretended to read and these are um ones that I've not done for a bit. Right. Um So yeah, this one is is a difficult one. You know, it's 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 a hard thing to face as a species to know that we are responsible for the death of so many other species um uh, at, th at this at this moment in our weird history um and but i feel like um you know there are there are species that are are, are kind of you know the poise the the poister the poster boys and girls of uh of of uh of the environmental movement you know your charismatic megafauna like your pandas and your um, polar bears and stuff, but there are, you know, there are others that are just as important that kind of get for forgotten about. So <sighs> this is about them. Uh, so any Burns fans in the audience? Um, the, the poet, not the <laughs> the painful life event. <laughs> Massive fan of Burns, me. Yeah, really big, really big. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> Um, it's called a plea in your ear. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny. <clears throat> Amongst our rife endangered species, 
there is a breed of timorous beasties, unmentioned in the global treaties, though no less doomed, and popular as diabetes to those well-groomed. He can't sing like the streaked horned lark, not graceful like the angel shark, so while those creatures board their ark, he'll seek his tomb. As two by two the stars embark, there'll be no room for a being labelled parasite, and scorned with endless callous spite, his habitat our habits blight, and make a ghetto of what was once a paradise for this poor fellow. I'm talking mass deforestation. We've chopped the chap's accommodation. Without a thought to conservation, we've paid no mind to ending future propagation of his kind. From Brazil to Hollywood, our land's been stripped for common good. Few forests for our Robin Hood to ply his trade. Though if you could, you probably would deny him shade. For this thief's name's Pathiris Pubis, the bane of lovers urged by cupids to frequent swapping of their juices with another. Crab lice can be quite a nuisance, they discover. For Lousy's not passed by a handshake, he prefers a furrier landscape. But now, as if by global mandate, you wax and shave. And not just ladies, now the manscape's all the rage. This fashion for the prepubescent born of porn and men tumescent at the thought of adolescence bald as coots has made a land less green and pleasant for these poor brutes. So strip away the beauty myth. Don't feel it is your duty, miss or sir, to make a nude abyss of lower regions. Advice I'm sure that you'd dismiss if lice were legion, but they're not. They're on the wane, and I for one think that's a shame, not because I'd wish such pain on careless lovers, but, although perhaps you should refrain from lying in gutters, but because these shaven stylings leaving stubbly iron filings are rarely any more beguiling than a thatch and have scant effect on stifling what you catch. And though to you the cost seems none to lose, allow some dross that's run its course, and good, it lost, we won, just pause, recall that in this woven world the loss of one is loss to all. Cheers. There you go. It wasn't quite as depressing as you thought it was going to be. It's true, though. They are on their way out. They are on their way out, apparently, according to science. Saying, guys, I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm saying something. Um, I'm gonna do one more. I don't know. Do you want the parental death one? <laughs> <laughs> that one is a bit more. I don't know. Do you want to do one sad one and end on a funny one? That's a good way to do a set, isn't it? All right, have you got two more in you? You've listened to a lot of words tonight, I'm aware of that. Are you sure? You're going to seem like twats now if you say no, so. Because <laughs> this one's a sad one. Um, so, yeah, a few years ago, uh, my dad died, and uh, I had the unenviable task, I'm going to bring this back, actually, of um, clearing out his flat, which uh, was um, 
my dad was a bit of a hoarder, so it was quite an epic uh, task. And at the end of it all, uh, there was an empty flat with a knackered old piano left in it. Uh, and it was, um, it was, it was sort of, it was not use. It was, you know, not not fit for. Uh, use nor ornament uh, as the saying goes it was sort of um, knackered and out of tune and it had been damaged in the fire nobody wanted to buy it uh, nobody couldn't give it away um, and, and uh, pianos are quite expensive to uh, to move if you've ever had to uh, hire a piano removal person so uh, we realized that the best way to, to to get rid of it was to be would be to smash it up in the flat and then take it in bits down um, in the in the lift he lived on like the fourth floor of a block of flats so um <clears throat> so it was sort of like the most uh f fun and also horrible thing i've ever had uh to do uh so i wrote a poem about it as you do it's called how to smash a piano first play it for the last time a basic jazz progression taught to you by the son of your dad's ex-lover played inexpertly but with heart Next, take a sledgehammer and a deep breath. Raise both above your head and bring them down with what force you can muster, smashing the echoes of childhood fingers, playfully tickling the keys. You'll need a few good swings to make an impact, for despite your childlike relish of the opportunity to destroy something beautiful and your adult rationalizations that this is the cheapest, safest and most efficient way to dispose of an instrument not fit for use nor restoration, your muscles still scream that this is wrong as you reluctantly heft the hammer's weight. Get a friend to help. He will strike with more force, decisively delivering blows, exposing its inner skeletons, swiping away supports until all that's left is a pile of splintered wood, broken keys, and a still-beating metal heart. Strings attached. Keep two of the blue notes. One for you, one for your sister. Take the rest to the tip. Abandoning its cotted iron pacemaker behind the skip meant only for wood, like a baby on a doorstep. Record it all. On a camera, a hard drive, your head and heart. That you made something from this will be all that enables you to bear the destruction. Thanks. Um, Dan, who did the sound for Anthropoetry and the music, is actually making an amazing uh, bit of weird music. From He took his uh, digital sound recorder and recorded all the noises that it made as we sort of smashed it to pieces with a sledgehammer. So he's making a backing track for that, which we're going to do something with when I get around to it. Um, so this last poem is about uh, stuff... Uh, I don't want to sort of say what it's about too much, but it's about, uh, are there any football fans in <laughs> in this wonderful football city amongst you? Yay. Put up your hand if you're into football. Okay. All right, cool. <laughs> They're always a bit thin on the ground at a poetry night, to be honest, but um, there is there is some crossover on the Venn diagram. Um, I don't understand football. I don't, uh, I don't dislike you if you do, obviously. Um, it's just never been something that uh, I got into. And... Um, uh, yeah, I sort of I had a slightly weird relationship with it, um, but uh, this is not against this is this poem is not aimed at your uh, you know your average 
uh, football fan. It's um, it's uh, it's uh, a specific type of football fan um, that unfortunately we're quite good at manufacturing in this country. Uh, so it's kind of like a love poem uh, to John Terry, uh, Seth Blatter, the EDL, Nigel Farage, Britain First, <laughs> the entire cabinet. I could go on, I won't. It's called Come On England. Three lions stitched to a sweatshop shirt Filled your head with dreams till your neck got hurt The weight of expectation is so great it numbs the bones Is it any wonder football's scared of coming home? Come on, England! They shout it from the terraces With all the fearful hatred normally reserved for terrorists Who used to be our subjects But we haven't found a role since we lost our blood-soaked empire Win it back, cunt, score a goal Come on, England it used to be so perfect. You'd stroke my pale white skin and tell me I was perfect. But now you part your thighs and let in all the Kurdish. Next you'll try and tell me that St. George was fucking Turkish. Come on, England. Is that the best that we can do? Two world wars and one world cup. Suspicion of the EU. When the other team is winning, it seems gloating isn't cricket. But when we're kicking shit, we get a national stiffened wicket. And come on, England, Britannia gets a face full, splashed on page three, pert patriotic tits look nice and tasteful. She's not a slave, she loves it, but she doesn't understand the offside rule, just waves and saves this grey, unpleasant land come on, England. Must you always lag behind? The thoughts of former greatness hold you back and nag the mind. You may have lost your colonies, but don't forget you kept the lolly. Don't sulk because that nasty PC took away your golly. Come on, England. Come out from under there. With all this nasty shouting, no wonder you were scared. <laughs> What's that you've lost? Your identity? Oh, I'm sure you'll find it soon. I know you don't know all the words, so let's just hum the tune. <laughs> to Ben and for Rebecca and everyone who's performed this evening and for Quiz. Uh, Ben's going to be stood uh, out there um, with his uh, books and CDs so to talk to him maybe buy some of his merchandise. Me and uh, Grace Petrie are organising a benefit gig for uh, Rape Crisis, Less Rape Crisis which is on the 20th of December. Uh, me and Grace are playing with our bands and also it's got Josie Long, Sarah Pascoe and Jen Brister. Um, you can get tickets online. I'd suggest getting them online in advance because that's going to go quite quickly. That's on the 20th of December. Because I'm an idiot, uh, Find the Right Words is the next day. <laughs> Uh, and we've got Keisha Thompson and Ben Norris. Um, so hopefully we'll see you at one of those two things. Um, get home safely and we'll see you soon.